Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I don't know about you, John, but when I hear the words essential business, I think of Rowdy Roddy Piper pretending to smash a coconut over Superfly Jimmy Snooka's head. I think of the Dudley Boys putting an elderly woman through a table. And I think of George the Animal Steel eating turnbuckles. Uh, Yes, the WWE has been deemed an essential business in Florida. We don't have uh, real sports in America at the moment, John, but how relieved are you that we at least have pro wrestling to get us through this trying time? Uh, well, you know, it's not a real sport and the characters aren't real. So maybe they can't get COVID-19. I mean, that's that's the best I've got, I think right now, Eric, um, you know, I'm really close to this U S epicenter, uh, and you're only one state away, which is not ideal at the moment either. And, uh, but I don't have to be an epidemiologist, which I think I pronounced correctly. Amazingly, Mm -hmm. um, to know that sadly you could do well, perversely betting on the sunshine state to be in the next wave up given the circumstances. I mean, we know what happened in New York and New Jersey versus what happened uh, much less in California and Ohio, right? So political parties aren't the point there and partisans are going to struggle with that, but that's just how it is. Um, It's really just graph math. And I think we know where that goes. Um, So I just hope it's an empty declaration in Florida and not anything more, but you know, all politicians do seem to tend to be good at those empty proclamations. So maybe this is one of them. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's Florida is definitely has definitely been part of the problem, and I assume will start having its own uh, problems uh, at a more amplified level. Although there were also uh, various maps of people who were in Florida spring breaking, then dispersing elsewhere, yeah. which is uh, mm-hmm. even worse. But um, just on 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 the uh, WWE front, I, I'm not sure which is the more ridiculous combat sports entertainment uh, subplot of the past week or so. WWE being deemed an essential business or that thing we discussed last week about UFC plotting to stage fights on a private island. Um, and and, yeah. and by the way, I'm, I'm not opposed to WWE going on if and when testing is readily available everywhere and they can test every WWE employee and then have them wrestle without audiences. That seems relatively safe. But uh, this being WWE, 
they might pretend to take the test, but actually the swab misses by a couple of inches, uh, or or maybe the ref is distracted while a positive test result comes back. You can't, you can't rule anything out. Yeah, I was I was thinking maybe they would have like a pretend audience. So when you're watching it, you you see uh, like visuals of like a sold out crowd, even though there's nobody there. Right, right. And the the sound, the the crowd is like roaring at the appropriate moment because they just pipe that in. I mean, yep. it's not like uh, I think they've already jumped a, a certain uh, uh, you know a level where that would not be out of the beyond the pale for them. So they may actually be able to create something entertaining that I won't watch. Yeah. <laughs> right. Same here. It, yeah. It can't be any worse or more awkward than wrestling without a crowd period, because I, I checked out a little bit of that and it does not work. So sure. <laughs> fake crowd. I'll take it. But uh, there's no faking anything here at gamble on uh, where we thank you uh, for joining us for episode number 87 of our podcast. If you missed any of our previous 86 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star reviews are definitely essential business. Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by veteran NBA writer Frank Isola, who I've known dating back to our time together on the Nets and Knicks beat in the 1990s. Um, Frank now covers the sport for The Athletic and frequently appears on ESPN. You've all seen him, I'm sure. Uh, and he'll join us to talk about the NBA's relationship to gambling, uh, his feelings on online betting, and uh, this week's uh, NBA horse competition, which you love so much, uh, <laughs> and more. Uh, but first, it's been a moderately busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to that. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. For the last several months, we've tended to gloss over state-by-state gaming revenue numbers because they've generally been fairly predictable for a while. But March numbers are important, as we were all waiting to see how devastating the casino shutdown would be, and particularly in New Jersey how much relief online gaming revenue would provide. The New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement released its March figures on Wednesday, and, well, they're not great, but they're great compared to what states without online sports betting, online casino, and online poker are going to produce. Atlantic City casinos were closed for half the month starting March 16th, and business was presumably slowing considerably due to coronavirus concerns in the last week or so before that. As a result, casino revenue crashed from $223.2 million in March 2019 to just $85.5 million last month. Without March Madness or any other major sporting events from about March 12th on, sports betting revenue was down from $31.7 million a year ago to $13.2 million last month. But online casino is up significantly from about $39 million in March 2019 to nearly $65 million this March. And after months upon months of online poker revenue sitting right around that $2 million mark, it jumped to $3.6 million last month. One last number of note, sports betting handle in March was $181.9 million, a record 89.8% of which came via online slash mobile betting. So we almost hit the 90% mark, and I wouldn't be surprised if we do surpass 90% when Pennsylvania's numbers come out. John, there's a lot to digest here. What numbers and trends stand out to you, or, and are there any big surprises? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I shouldn't have been surprised by this, but for some reason, I'd expected a bigger bump for online casino gaming. Um, okay. But then I, I got to realize, you know, on March 11th, uh, the NCAA men's basketball tournaments are still being played. NBA and NHL were still going on. Um, I infamously was in Newark uh, getting coughed on by a uh, law school student, uh, <laughs> right. uh, which uh, I, now that I'm more than a month out, I'm, I'm less concerned about. But so, I mean, I shouldn't have expected a traditional sports better to immediately pivot and say, wow, in New Jersey, say, you know, hey, online blackjack. That's something I'm going to sign up for tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. You know, not to mention there's so many middle class gamblers with families to consider. You know, they're now either unemployed, they're furloughed, they're concerned about that coming soon, any of those. Um, and those are exactly the sort of people who should not be looking for alternative gambling sources at this point, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I, to me, the poker version is interesting. You know, it's a small number, but it's a big boost. So I'm curious what you think. What does that say? Uh, it's taking New Jersey back to its glory days, you know, but what does that mean to New Jersey online poker players and maybe to Pennsylvania down the road? Uh, well, I guess uh, it, it, it'll be it'll all change if those two states are able to start sharing player pools. Then then you'll see. Uh, boy, I hate to use the, the term exponential growth, given what's going on in the world right now. It's a, yeah. a scarier term uh-huh. than it used to be. But when it comes to online poker, exponential <laughs> growth is good. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good it's a good increase, I think it's right around what I would have guessed based on, you know, the extra (laughs) half a month or so of people being pretty much stuck at home. Uh, All these numbers make perfect sense to me in retrospect and are in the neighborhood of what I would, would have predicted. So, so now, you know, I'm turning my attention to what might we see in April. (laughs) I, I could see online casino going up to about 85 or 90 million dollars um and and you make a great point though that that the interesting sub story to track there is just whether people don't aren't going to have the disposable income available to to play those kind of games and certainly you're right that a lot of people shouldn't be um and online poker in new jersey uh you know went from the two million range to 3.6 i could certainly see that surpassing five million for april um online sports betting april in april is the hardest one to predict uh, with just these minor sports being played although you do have the nfl draft uh which we can't bet on in pennsylvania but you can in new jersey <laughs> and uh, i spoke to some of the top sportsbook operators this week they said draft betting handle is tracking for between two and a half to three times what it was last year. And in the case of DraftKings, nine days before the draft, they had already surpassed the 2019 draft's total betting handle. Um, so that'll help the April numbers, but I'm still not confident we'll see more than about $3 million or so in April sports betting revenue, maybe like $50 million or so in, in handle, something like that. It's it's really hard to say. I don't know if, if you think I'm over or undershooting at all with a $50 million or so uh, line. Well, yeah, I mean, the bottom line that I, I kind of, uh, you know, crunching the numbers kind of uh, realize more fully is that brick and mortar Atlantic City casino gambling is where the action is in New Jersey. So without any of that, there's no there's no salvage. I mean, definitely uh, having online uh, casino gaming, including online poker and having online sports betting for whatever they can bet on. It's it's a big help compared to other states that have nothing. But um, the, there's no there's no salvage there. There's no way for those two avenues to nearly replace the brick and mortar Atlantic city casino betting. So it's just going to be a brutal uh, April for the state and there's no way around it. And may is uh, iffy too. Yeah. Yeah. If he, if he at best. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think of the 
the online poker thing as a positive, not necessarily so much in terms of the poker sites making money and the state getting a little bit of revenue out of it and all that. I just like it from a perspective of the sanity of the citizens uh, that it, it, it it's, mm. you know, an activity you can, you can do when you're bored, hopefully at, you know, modest stakes, if you, if you don't have the bankroll and all that, but that's, that's really the positive that I'm focusing on with with online poker, at least is from the perspective of the players. Um, I, I should note an article um, on sports handle, uh, Brett Smiley and Matt Schmidt wrote a piece crunching some numbers and they estimated that just from the cancellation of March madness, the books nationwide missed out on $973.5 million in handle and $68 million in revenue. Um, And in in New Jersey specifically, uh, whereas, you know, we just noted sports betting handle for the month was $181.9 million. The article projected it would have been $575 million without the coronavirus. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, staggering the amounts uh, of money that uh, that the industry is uh, is losing as a result of this yeah it, it's a little weird but the, the there's a little bit of serendipity in things being shut down in the middle of a month so we know what's coming we have to take our beating in march we now get the numbers in april and we know and we we know it's going to happen in april but we just have a little more time where it's just not like you know the one month is perfect and the next month is dead we had uh, you know great february and a half bad half good march <laughs> right. and in april's brutal but we, we it's just you know psychologically i think we have more time to to sort of accept the reality and obviously there's tens of thousands of casino workers in atlantic city they're not working and and there, there's just so much in the industry it, it's it's brutal but i think i think like i say psychologically i think it's a little better to handle with the amount of time and the sequencing we have, because it is what it is anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, that that brutality for the industry, we'll uh, talk more about that with story number three. But first, our second story takes a, a break from uh, from the, the brutality for a moment uh, as we talk about sports betting legislation. It, it's been a struggle to get it across the finish line in 2020. Uh, and that continues with uh, Virginia, which seemed ready to join the party uh, when the legislature moved a bill along to Governor Ralph Northam back on March 8th. Uh, but just before the April 11th midnight deadline to Sign, he sent it back to the General Assembly for amendments. One key change he wants involves betting on Virginia college teams. The bill doesn't allow it, uh, but he wants the law to at least make clear that bettors can still wager on a tournament or some other multi-game event involving a Virginia team. Northam also wants a change to the fee for a sports betting license and some other minor amendments. Uh, according to our colleague Jill Dorson at Sports Handle, the amendments are believed to be agreeable to both the House and Senate, and the Virginia General Assembly is next scheduled to meet on April 22nd. So it seems this has slowed the process down, but optimism remains high for the state to pass a sports betting law this year. John, are, are you optimistic, and do you have any thoughts on the amendments? Uh, yeah, Eric, I, I do expect this to pass, and Virginia is one of those states I've previously been bearish on regarding sports betting for you know the past year, but uh, I've I've changed on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, call me old fashioned, but I just like to see political collaboration. Uh, this reminds me last year in New Jersey where some fence sitters in Trenton were, were kind of wondering whether to support a twenty million dollar annual subsidy to New Jersey horse racing purses. Um, so they they sought to require the tracks to show their work basically. Right. So if the extra money didn't produce any results, then maybe it's not a worthwhile expenditure of hard working taxpayer dollars makes 
total sense to me, and the industry agreed. And fortunately for the horsemen, the extra money is producing results, so they're probably going to keep getting it. But there's no reason that they they shouldn't have to uh, uh, say show their work, uh, you know. And and Jill also wrote recently on the mismatch of so many states allowing college sports betting on their teams, and so many who don't. And why is that? Um, but like it happened in New Jersey nine years ago. I can't believe it's nine years, but it is. Um, I don't think it's a hill for a bill to die on, yay or nay. You know, at least get a bill passed that provides consumer protection for people who want to legally and safely wager on sporting events. And you know, as far as college betting, yay or nay. Uh, you know, adjustments can always be made down the road. Yeah, and and it, it does sound like uh, they are they are going to get this through. Uh... I'd expect this is just a delay of a, a few weeks. Um, Representative Marcus Simon tweeted, quote, not a poison pill, so we will have sports betting in Virginia. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's good for the, this little clarification that they worked in. I, I like that, that, you know, even if you can't bet on a single game involving a G- Virginia college, which you and I agree is, is not a great stipulation, but uh, it is what it is, at least people will know that they can bet on another team to win the ACC or they can bet on another team to come out of Virginia's region in the March Madness bracket may, you know, cl- clarify at least what's legal with regard to that. Uh, that's, you know, if, if I'm understanding all that correctly, I think that is what the amendment is trying to say. Uh, and uh, according to Jill's reporting, uh, the law allows for up to 12 mobile licenses, which, uh, which should be plenty. So I think Virginia's uh, on the right track on that front. Yeah, like I guess I'm I'm a little bit surprised because most of the states I've been down on have uh, not let me down yet, but but this one actually has gotten its act together, and I think they're good to go. All right, all right. So now back to uh, some of the bummer news. Uh, we we've spoken on recent episodes about how devastating the COVID nineteen crisis is for the casino industry and how many jobs have been and will be lost. Uh, but the federal government's Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, was expected to help providing small businesses with forgivable loans that would go directly toward payroll. Unfortunately, the PPP doesn't seem to be covering some casinos, even those that should qualify by having 500 or fewer employees. And the American Gaming Association reached out to President Trump to request that he tweak the provisions. AGA CEO Bill Miller released a statement on Tuesday saying the SBA, quote, released revised regulatory guidelines that will allow additional small businesses that derive revenue from legal gaming to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program. While these changes represent some progress, they fall woefully short of fully addressing antiquated discriminatory policies that have, to date, restricted small gaming companies from accessing critical loan support made available through the CARES Act. As a result of this half measure, small gaming businesses that have closed to comply with government orders will continue to be denied access to this critical lifeline to support their employees, end quote. Uh, This conversation is far from over. The AGA will keep fighting and Further relief legislation is expected to be coming, but for now, thousands of casino jobs that properties were hoping not to cut are in danger. John, any guess as to whether the AGA will make headway here, and how make or break is this for the industry? Oh, yeah, it's a big deal. But, you know, I have no doubt the AGA hired Bill Miller in part because of his prowess as a lobbyist. Uh, Well, this is where the rubber beats the road for the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of reminiscent of the still standing issue of major banks and credit card companies, um, whether they approve legal gaming transactions. And there's so much confusion. I mean, you know, guys, the Puritan era is over. I mean, I don't see the U.S. as ever being as gambling friendly as much of Europe or Asia, but legal expansion is here and we just got to, you know, uh, accept it, I think. Um, a small casino, 
in the U.S. is a legitimate, highly regulated business. It's better regulated than some who got a free pass into the program, no doubt. So right. um, I think the AJ will succeed here. Um, you know, there's uh, – there's not really a legitimate argument against it. And I, I saw President Trump in a press conference, you know, was saying uh, the question about Nevada in particular. But, you know, I'll look into that. That's a you know, Nevada is a great state. And, uh, you know, it's something I'll consider. So uh, I think having a former casino owner, uh, multiple in Atlantic City uh, as president is probably not going to hurt the AGA in this, in this manner. Right. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add here. Um, This is going to be critical to the survival of some casinos and a lot of related businesses. And uh, more importantly, in my view, to these employees being able to buy food and pay their bills for the next couple of months in a perfect world. Everyone would have a a rainy day fund to carry them for six months or whatever. I shouldn't need to spell out that we don't live in a perfect world. So, you know, whether it's through direct checks from the government or payroll checks made possible by forgivable loans. And I say this as someone who hasn't lost his job and, and doesn't particularly need extra money right now. We have to get these people something. So I'm, I'm glad the AGA is fighting for them and I hope uh, the money goes where it belongs. Yeah, I, I think this is going to work out for them. But it, it's a uh, it's tough that, like you say, there's a lot of uh, at risk employees right now who who are on pins and needles, and, it, and it's unfortunate that they have to be, you know, as nervous as they are. But I think they're going to be okay in the end. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Nobody expected April to be part of the NBA offseason, but here we are. And one positive byproduct of this situation is it makes top NBA writers more readily available to appear on (laughs) podcasts. And we have one of the best with us now. Frank Isola is a senior writer for The Athletic, and he covered the NBA for the New York Daily News for more than 20 years. He can also be heard on Sirius XM and seen on ESPN. And he joins us now to talk basketball and the sports relation to betting. Frank, welcome to Gamble On. Don't don't cheat me out of five years. I was at the Daily News for 25 years, and most of that was on the Nick beat. So that's really like being <laughs> there for 50 years. Right. So, okay. Sorry. 20 to years. Short not there. 20 years. More like 50. Okay. <laughs> well, one way or another, you did your time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Frank and Light, uh, going back a quarter century ago, when we were covering the Nets and then the Nick yeah. Knicks and all those playoff runs, um, I, I never remember players really talking about the you know betting on sports or anything like that. But now it's two years since the Supreme Court uh, allowed that in most states, and uh, I'm wondering, uh, is there any change in the level of awareness you think that uh, players have about uh, gambling in general? Uh, do they know about it? Do they talk about it? Or, or is this something that's still kind of abstract and really just for the fans? Well, uh, first of all, John, about a week ago, two weeks ago, they were showing game three, Knicks Bulls, 1996 at Madison Square Garden. And back then we used to sit courtside. So I'm looking yeah. along. I was watching the game yeah. really to see myself. And there you are, Dave D'Alessandro. I'm trying to think who else. I think Mike yeah. Wise might have been sitting there <laughs> yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. As for, you know, the gambling part of it, it's interesting because we all know about the Tim Donahue scandal from about 10 years ago and how much that still kind of impacts the NBA. But it's another way to generate revenue. So, you know, the, uh, the NBA has embraced gambling. And in fact, I think it's in Washington where they have some kiosks set up where people could gamble right there in the arena. I got to be honest with you. It's really not something that, that comes up very often, certainly not among the players, certainly not among the coaches. They seem to have so much stuff to worry about that. It's not something that really ever gets discussed. Sometimes those of us in the media might say it, but it doesn't seem to be something that the players 
if they're aware of it, it's not, it's certainly something they don't express to us. So uh, just before the league pressed pause, uh, LeBron James and the Lakers had a big weekend and yep. the odds on LeBron to win MVP were shrinking. He, he was closing the gap on Giannis. Assuming there are no more regular season games or, or only a handful more games, maybe, would you say Giannis is an absolute lock to get the votes? And uh, had we not had the, these games suspended, had the season played out normally, do you think it's likely LeBron would have completed the comeback and done enough to win MVP? Well, you're right about that stretch that he had. He had a stretch that began against New Orleans on a Sunday, ESPN game. So with Zion, LeBron, he had a triple-double. Then they played Philadelphia without Joel, uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons had a huge game. Then it was the Friday night game against Milwaukee, big game. Sunday against the Clippers, a big game. Everyone so easily forgets that on the following Tuesday – the last game that the Lakers played thus far was against the Nets. LeBron missed a layup late. He's going to make that layup 99 out of 100 times. The Nets were lucky enough where he, he missed that one late. But the, what LeBron was able to do is he's got the media machine behind him. So when he started that little stretch, all of a sudden there was a conversation about the MVP. Giannis Antetokounmpo had been dominating the NBA all year long. He's averaging 30 points a game. He's playing 30 minutes. They've been blowing out so many teams. But they take him out. He doesn't even play the fourth quarter. So he's at 30 points a game, 30 minutes a night. I understand it. LeBron has got a machine behind him. All Giannis has is me, I think. I'm the only one advocating <laughs> for him. But I got to believe that right now, if there is no more season, the MVP of the league is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right. All right. Uh, Frank, uh, you know, we talk about uh, uh, New York and New Jersey. You're a New Jersey guy, and you cover NBA games in New York. So in New York, you can't bet on, on your, your cell phone, your mobile phone. You, you can only bet in person at yeah. a Catskills Casino or north of that. Uh, in New Jersey, you can bet on your phone. You can bet on Belarus soccer, which I should have asked you some tips <laughs> on, and Belarus hockey and Russian table tennis and everything else. And uh, you can bet anywhere. So you can bet anywhere in the state. So, you know, clearly either New York or New Jersey are in this sports betting wrong. So which is the crazy state and which one isn't? <laughs> well, I guess I'm allowed to bet at the Meadowlands, right? Which really isn't too far from me. Yes. Also, I'm a transplanted New Yorker. I lived in New York most of my yeah. life, but I have been you, here. You can bet at home. You can bet at your home. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think um, I think New Jersey probably yeah. has it. Why, why are you making people drive all over the place to bet? If they're going to bet, they're going to get their bets in anyway. So I think that's the way to do it. The only thing I'll say is there was a while where my kids were playing youth soccer and every, you know, you go on these crazy tournaments all over the place. But every year they would play in Vegas right around St. Patrick's Day, which usually is the start of the NCAA tournament. So I've actually been in Las Vegas. We got there on a Thursday. That's the first day of the NCAA tournament. And those four days there, just being in Vegas and seeing – and it's mostly guys. You could tell it's like guys with their friends traveling. Let's go to Las Vegas and bet on these games. There is something kind of unique about that that does get taken away once everyone's allowed to gamble. But I think New Jersey's got it figured out a little bit better than New York. Yeah, agreed. I, as, a, as a Pennsylvanian who has uh, both uh, in-person and online options, uh, it uh, just seems, right. seems crazy to me to only have the in-person yeah. options uh, given, given the technology that we have. Um, so uh, speaking of uh, things that the technology uh, has allowed, uh, I watched the horse broadcast on Sunday night. and um, You were the one. <laughs> I was the one. Uh, full credit to the NBA and ESPN for trying something. But uh, as I wrote on Monday, I, I found it to be awful viewing. And uh, it struck me 
as the ultimate example of a sporting event that's only worthwhile if people can bet on it. But yeah. because it aired on delay, we, we couldn't bet on it legally. So what's your take on, on all this, Frank? Did, did you hate this broadcast as much as I did? And uh, did the league and ESPN make a mistake choosing not to televise it live so people could bet on it? Well, I, I think the problem with televising it live, and you got a chance to see that if you're watching it, you know, they were having a lot of trouble with the connection with the internet. You know, they couldn't send professional people out there. So obviously they sent equipment out to the players and for them to do it. Between ESPN and NBA Entertainment, they're used to putting on quality stuff. They know how to produce something. So the fact that it looked like that just tells you the struggles that they had. But what I found interesting about it was the matchups were interesting. So you have Mike Connolly, who clearly is doing well for himself because he owns a gym in his house, a basketball court. <laughs> He's going up against poor Tamika Catchings, who's outside in the cold, blowing on her hands because it's so cold out. <laughs> then the other matchup is Zach Levine, who could probably compete in the decathlon. He's that athletic. He's going up against Paul Pierce, who's been retired for a few years. He looks like he's been retired for about 20 years. So I don't know how you get the great athlete with Paul Pierce. So the matchups were a little wacky. Right. And I, I don't know exactly when they're filming the semis and, and the finals. Uh, I presume it'll be sometime during the day. Thursday is my guess. I'm not sure. But uh, assuming it hasn't happened yet as we record this and you don't know the results, do you, do you have a pick? Because it seems like that indoor advantage uh, for Conley could, could carry him all the way. Well, let you in on a little secret. Okay. They, tell, they recorded the whole thing in that one day. Oh, okay. Didn't so know The that. results have been known. No, I have interviewed Tamika Catchings. Allie Quigley, who made it to the semifinals. Chauncey Billups, who made it to the semifinals. So they weren't tipping their hand. I think Zach, Zach Levine is going to win because I think Zach Levine is doing what I would do if I were Zach Levine. There's no dunking allowed. But I would do all these crazy acrobatic things and then just drop the ball in the rim. That's what he did to Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce was looking at him thinking, I'm going to kill myself if I try to do that. So if I'm Zach Levine, I do all the acrobatic stuff, no dunking, then drop it in the rim. Smart. Right. Yeah, uh, Frank, I know you're a big uh, uh, soccer fan, uh, particularly European soccer. I'm wondering if, if you've been over to the UK or to uh, Italy uh, or anywhere else uh, and, and seen games there and also what the, the fan experience is there. Are you sitting there and it's obvious that everybody around you is betting? Because, you know, in, in, say, New Jersey, you know, a, a Giants or Jets game is yeah. for the game, even before sports betting is legalized. But you never really heard about it. They just, you know, maybe you had a little more rooting interest than you expected. But in Europe where it's out in the open and has been for many years, is it any different seeing a soccer game there? You know, it's a couple of unique things about being there. You know, I've been to the um, Olympics, so I covered soccer there. But I've been to um, a game at Chelsea, which is at Stamford Bridge they play. I've been to Italy, seen games there. What I love about the experience, and there is a lot of betting that goes on, when you go into the stadium, everyone is there by the time kickoff starts. And then everyone is paying attention to the game. Then in 45 minutes, everyone will get up. Some people maybe, uh, you know, get a refreshment, go to the bathroom, whatever the case may be. Everyone is in their seat for the start of the second half. How many sporting events, and especially basketball, the second half starts and all those lower seats are empty because everyone's went, gone back to some kind of suite and is hanging out there. The other thing which is great about it, here in this country, we're so conditioned to be told when to cheer. Because they'll play music. The scoreboard will tell you. It takes away all the creativity. In Europe, it's the fans coming up with different chants and songs. It's never in the arena. Now, before the game, they'll play music. After the game, when the teams are walking up the field, they'll play music. But not during the game. So, to me, the, like 
we're so conditioned to be told, all right, now cheer, now stand up, now go along with this song, where there they're just more, much more creative and spontaneous, and it just makes for a better fan atmosphere. Yeah, Frank, uh, can you, can, do you notice, it more, is it more obvious that the fans uh, you're sitting near in, in Europe are betting on the game than it is in the U.S.? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a sense of that. Plus, it's much more out in the open. So people, can, you know, it's been part of the culture, like going to games and cheering for them. That's been part of their culture. Going to games and gambling, especially in England, is such a huge part of it. So I think you definitely feel that a lot more. To me, when I go to a football game, you feel that there's a lot of gambling going on. But basketball games, I don't feel it as much. Baseball, I don't feel it as much. When I'm at a football game, it's just the culture of football. You feel it a lot more. All right. Well, it's been uh, great talking to you, Frank. Uh, to all our listeners, we'll note that you can follow Frank on Twitter at the Frank Isola. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Frank. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. After a couple of weeks off, the bankroll is back, baby, in limited fashion anyway. Uh, with the NFL draft starting in one week, we'll each place one bet today, uh, and maybe we'll consider one more next week. Our bankroll remains in the same state it was in a few weeks ago. We are up by $149, and we have $1,040 on hold in futures bets, some of which will likely be canceled. Uh, but for now, we have $9,109 available to bet, and uh, John, you're up first. Yeah, and uh, Eric, after at least 18 months, I'll just say again that a tiny profit on a much-focused-on hobby, pretty good result. Uh, not to knock those arts and crafts enthusiasts, but uh, I, don't think, <laughs> I, don't think they have, I don't think they have a net positive balance in 18 months. I'm pretty sure they're down. I know they enjoyed what they did, but they enjoyed what they did, and it cost them something. And we're enjoying what we do, and it's not costing us anything, so it's pretty Well, good. I will say if you're able to sell your, arts, your art project but, afterwards, yeah, you can come out probably, uh, ahead. That's pretty rare, I think. So, uh, all that being said, you know, give me a hundred dollars at even money on DraftKings with the Miami Dolphins taking to a the Alabama quarterback whose family's name I won't insult by a possible butchering of it. So, uh, what I like about it is you're not locked into the Dolphins standing pat or moving up. All I have to do is draft him at any spot. Um, you know, there's more than a handful of NFL teams that tend to draft regionally. And while South Florida fans are not Alabama backers, obviously, it's a great college football market. Uh, Tua sells tickets. The Dolphins badly need to sell tickets. They need a quarterback. Um, so whatever year they resume playing, he can really help them. So I'm confident in this one. Okay. Well, that's uh, yeah. Just like just like the bet we made on Jerry Judy to the Jets a little while back. Doesn't matter whether he's drafted in that yeah. spot. We just need the right team to take him. Okay. Um, for my bet, uh, as I noted recently, I don't follow college football, so I am relying on the wisdom of others, and so I'm stealing this bet from our Roto Grinders colleague Dan Bach. Uh, he's been saying if he lived in New Jersey or another state with points bet, he'd be making a points betting style bet on Jalen Hurts under, meaning earlier in the draft than 62.5 for overall draft position. So uh, Mel Kuyper's latest mock has Hertz going 49th to Pittsburgh. Uh, that would be 13 units under. And it seems even if Hertz does slip beyond the 62nd pick, the thought is he won't miss it by much. So by doing a points bet style bet, there's a lot more upside than downside, uh, assuming that Dan's insights are to be trusted. So let's bet $20 per spot on under 62 and a half for Jalen Hurts. And uh, we'll, we'll give Dan a, a fake finder's fee if it hits. 
That's a pretty that's pretty adventurous for us, but uh, it's intriguing. I will say that. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Frank Isola. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, I hand it over to you and your quarantine beard to please take us out. Yes, I do have that uh, playoff beard I like better, but <laughs> right. yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I will say that, you know, even life itself in the U.S. continues to be a bit of a gamble, unfortunately. Um, it's easy for us, any of us, to get caught up in the political bickering and, and when we're getting back to normal and all that being talked about. But, you know, I had a moment on Wednesday night near the elevator of my fourth floor condo in North Jersey. You know, I haven't ridden with another passenger in an elevator in four weeks now. Um, but a young woman approached me in the direction with her dog who was headed for a walk. Um, you know, it's basically mandated here. She has a protective mask on. I had my Redskins scarf on and have a vestige from my 1970s to 1990s fandom that covered up my mouth as well as my nose. So would it really be a big deal if we rode down the elevator together for a matter of seconds? I mean, it's not as if either of us was coughing either, but before I could even make my decision, she backed off to wait for the next car to arrive. And I think it was well played on both of us. So that's my advice out there. I mean, to folks in other states who and even other countries who aren't as directly affected, you know, to the extent that your employer allows it, don't leap back into the crowded mix, regardless of when, you know, some elected official tells you of any party. You know, patience really, really is a virtue. And to bosses who may be my age or older, Please, you know, abandon that slavish devotion to babysitting your employees in 1950s style office. I mean, really make adjustments, be safer. Uh, I'll even make them a deal. If they'll wait until a vaccine is widely available, then I'll let you go back to business as usual. And, and they all got to be heard into the office. I'll, I'll make that deal. Uh, and with that, until the PGA Tour resumes in mid-June, uh, be extra judicious in your wagering choices before you once again regularly gamble on. <laughs>